Well, hello, church. I'm so glad you're with us to worship together today. Uh, I hope you're staying safe and quarantined. As you know, we continue to put our sermons online. And yet at the same time, we do have an in-person service that we hold at the Naples Grand Hotel and Resort every Sunday at four o'clock. And so if you're healthy and you feel like you'd like to attend, we'd love to have you be there with us as well. So let's open this service uh, with a prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have sustained us, that you have protected our church and our people. And so, Father, I ask you now, as we come before your throne, to bless this message. Let it be your word, inspired by the Holy Spirit for us today, Lord. Let these words come from your mouth to our ears, and let us concentrate on them and let them resonate in our heart. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'm going to deal today with the continuing subject that I've had for the past five weeks, which is following Jesus in today's world. Uh, and today we're going to deal with dealing with doubt, a season of doubt. And doubt occurs in all lives of Christians. It's not that we doubt that God exists, but sometimes we doubt it as if he hears us, if he knows where we are, if he's recognizing our, our lives. Uh, and whether he's blessing us in, in the passages of time of where we are. And, and, and so all of these various doubting figures come into our lives. Uh, and it's even more so when we're filled with great stress. How about these days? Is that enough stress for you today? And so when that happens, we often wonder, where is God? Where is he? Is he aware of me? Is he aware of the issues that I have? Uh, or is he probably just sitting on his hands? wanting me to go through this? Is he paying attention uh, to my needs? Uh, and during these kinds of times, it's not unusual for even Christians to have some doubt about the workings of God. And then when that happens to you, Satan steps in. This is the opening that Satan needs because once he sees your mind going in that way, he'll begin to lay on your mind negative thoughts how can you think like this? And you call yourself a Christian. And, as, and that happens, it allows you to sink even further and further away from God. And all of a sudden you find that you don't have a triumphant Christian life. Um, and so all of these issues become critical for us as we walk with the Lord. And so this message today is pointed to these kind of events in our lives. And we're gonna look specifically at how Jesus handled it. Uh, and how he handled it with regards to one of the greatest men that ever lived, and that is John the Baptist. Uh, and so we find that even the greatest men in the Bible had their moments of doubt. And I believe God writes that in the Bible. You know, the Bible is not a fairy tale. The Bible demonstrates to us people with real warts, people with real flaws. And so it's important because God wants us to learn from these things. So this lesson today, this message today, is all about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's moment of confusion, and that's what we'll call it, moment of confusion, which is also like doubt, but in his case, it really was a moment of confusion. Uh, for most of his life, he recognized who he was and what the call of his life was. His call on his life was to announce the coming of the Messiah. Uh, and he knew that. And the Bible tells us that even when he was a baby, a fetus in his mother's womb, that when his mother, uh, the cousin of Mary, came into contact with Mary with the fetus of Jesus growing, that the fetuses leapt 
in the wombs of the mothers, leapt, meaning there was a, a recognition of the authority of each other. And so as John watched uh, Jesus' early ministry develop, uh, he became somewhat puzzled. He didn't understand what was happening. He didn't know what God was doing. Uh, and so this began to push him into confusion and doubt. If you have your Bibles, would you turn please to Matthew chapter 11, 1 to 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What an amazing set of verses. Uh, and, and what a reference to the life of John the Baptist by Jesus Christ, indicating that no one born of women would be any greater than John the Baptist. Uh, no one in history would ever surpass him. And so here we recognize that John the Baptist had great national prominence. He really had come onto the scene in Israel. He was the first prophet in 400 years in Israel. The last one was Malachi. There was a dark period there of 400 years, and now John the Baptist come out, comes on the scene, effectively linking the Old Testament with the New, the Old Covenant with the New, uh, and his premise, purpose in life is to announce the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so he had no doubt about the call on his job. Thousands of people had come forward to him uh, to be baptized as he indicted Israel for their sinful ways. There was no question about it. Even Jesus himself came to be baptized uh, of John. And in fact, you know that passage uh, in John chapter 129 where Jesus comes to be baptized. And as he is walking towards John the Baptist, John declares, behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. What an amazing statement, a prescient statement as he understood what the call of, of Jesus was. Um, and so even though he had many followers and many disciples and he had great national prominence, effectively he was saying to his followers, my work is done. You, you need to go and follow Jesus now. And so almost overnight, he walked away from a large national ministry because his mission was complete. The Messiah had come 
and John had done his best to prepare the way. And so shortly before this passage that we're speaking about uh, takes place, shortly before that, uh, he was imprisoned by Herod. Uh, And it was something of a strange relationship because we read that even though Herod imprisoned John, yet he feared and somewhat protected him while he was in custody. Uh, Mark 6 verse 20 tells us that when he spoke spoke, uh, to Herod, the king was, quote, greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. So it's a strange relationship. And so while in prison, John begins to experience some doubts about who Jesus was. Was he really the Messiah? Uh, And the reason for that is the fact that Jesus was doing things and going places that John did not consider would be appropriate for someone who would be the Messiah. John, like most of the the, uh, Jews of that period of time, thought that the Messiah would come to save Israel from the boot of Rome, that he would effectively be a political leader uh, and has established his kingdom physically in Israel and remove Rome from Israel. And so after a while, it became evident that Jesus was not going to do those kinds of things. Uh, And further, uh, he began to hear rumors that Jesus was hanging out with unsavory characters, tax collectors, prostitutes, uh, all kinds of people that were at the bottom rung of society. Uh, And so what was this about? Uh, And John in prison is really being tempted and his humanity begins to wonder, did I make a mistake? Is this Jesus truly the Son of God? Is he truly the Messiah? Well, in reality, uh, the events were developing exactly uh, as God had intended. Uh, The Lamb of God was headed to the cross to give his life as a ransom for all of the people for all time. Uh, And the restored kingdom of Israel with Jesus on the throne had to await his second coming. And let me repeat that. Yes, there would come a time when Jesus would establish his kingdom in Israel, but that would be the second coming of Jesus, not the first coming of Jesus. The first coming of Jesus would be to establish his spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God uh, for all people. And so the scriptures had taught this all along. There were passages in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 that spoke extensively about the suffering aspect of of the Messiah. But the strange thing is that really at this moment of doubt, John did not really understand all this. He felt confused, really, by the actions of the Lord. Uh, And I find this in some ways uplifting to me in the sense that if someone as great as John the Baptist can go through periods of doubt and still be spoken of mightily by Jesus Christ, how much more does that speak of us and what God will do with us uh, when you see someone like that who has a season of doubt? We all have a season of doubt. We all go through dark times. There's all times when we wonder, is God listening to me? Does he care about me? Does he know where I am? Uh, is he aware of, this, of the conditions of my life? Uh, and, and that's exactly, when that happens, that's when Satan jumps on your mind. This is what he looks for. Uh, and so the lesson for us here is sometimes we misunderstand God and his word. 
Now, when might this happen? Well, for instance, it might happen when a tragedy comes into your life or a loved one dies, and you understand that. All of a sudden, some terrible tragedy comes your way or a loved one dies, and the first thing you think of is, God, how can you do this to me? How can this happen? I thought you loved me and cared for me. And all of a sudden, there's doubt in your life, really. Does he really care about you? Does he really love you? Uh, and so when these patterns in our life don't fit in with our generalized feeling about who God is, well, that's when doubt comes in. And when doubt comes into your life, you can rest assured that Satan is not far behind because this is what he looks for. These are the conditions of your mind that Satan works on. Uh, and so our problem is this, that we interpret God in light of the tragedy. And I'm going to repeat that. We interpret God in light of the tragedy. What do I mean by that? It means this, that when all is well and things are going good uh, in your life, then, then doubts don't come your way. But when suddenly a tragedy or some ill-timed event comes into your life, suddenly because of that, you forget all the good that God has done with you, all the blessings that he has given. Instead, we define God by that tragedy. Instead of recognizing that the sovereignty of God is so immense that we have no idea what his will is about, even in the extent of, of some of the tragedies. And this is what was going on with John in prison. You can imagine that. Here is this great man being used by God and now he's locked up in prison. Uh, and his life had been spent pointing the way to Jesus, and now that's ended and he's locked up, and we know that eventually his head will be cut off. And so we see this season of doubt. We're gonna call it a season of doubt. And so doubt is not necessarily a sin. And I wanna repeat that. <coughs> Excuse me. Doubt is not necessarily a sin. Sometimes it is the development of faith. It may mean that you are trying to process events in your life so that you get a fuller understanding. <clears throat> Sometimes our doubt will lead us to even greater faith. The key in dealing with doubt is to cry out to God, to seek God, to ask God to touch our hearts, to open our minds, to deal with the doubts, to direct his word to our hearts. Now, doubt uh, is a matter of the mind. Let me repeat that. Doubt is a matter of the mind. Unbelief is a matter of the will. Do you see the difference? Unbelief is a matter of the will, but doubt is the matter of the mind. Doubt says, uh, I don't get it. Help me to understand. Unbelief says, I do get it, and I refuse to accept it. There are two very, very different concepts. And for those of us who are following Jesus, uh, we deal with doubt, not unbelief. John was dealing with doubt, never with unbelief. And so throughout the Bible, we see the men of God having similar reactions at various times to hardships. For example, uh, Moses was ready to quit on one occasion after listening to the Israelites complaining for so many times. Um, in essence, he said uh, to the Lord, if this is the way it's going to be with my life, uh, just kill me now. And I want you to take a look at that because I think it's interesting. Turn to Numbers chapter 11, verse 11. Moses heard the people of every family wailing. 
each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses with trouble. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? <clears throat> Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now. Wow. Put me to death right now. But Moses, I opened the Red Sea. I took them out of Egypt. I brought them through the desert. Uh, but you see what happens even to great men uh, when a season of doubt comes in uh, and hardship and stress come into our lives? It's Moses. Put me to death right now, God. Uh, what an ama amazing reaction. But, you know, you look at the greatness of Moses and you understand how difficult his life was as he was leading the Jewish people. And so effectively you understand this is important. You draw parallels to your own life. This is why God has given you this reading so that you, re you react and understand it. Look, the same thing happened with Elijah. Uh, and, and, and Elijah, uh, after he had this great victory uh, and wound up destroying 450 prophets of, of Baal, uh, these illicit prophets of Baal, uh, Queen Jezebel promised to kill him. And so he has to flee. And during the, the, the flight away from, from uh, Jezebel, he essentially says to God, kill me and take me now. Now, this is a guy who would be used so greatly that he would not suffer death. You know that there's only two people in the Bible that didn't suffer physical death, Enoch and Elisha, who would be taken away in a chariot of fire. Uh, and so you, you come away with the, the reaction of, even such great men, even such great men can, can fall down on a season of death. I want you to see what Paul says about this uh, in 2 Corinthians, if you have your Bible. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. I want you to understand what he just said. We despaired of life. We were ready to give up our lives. Uh, indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. I mean, there's no one better than Paul to synthesize these issues and to give you the reason that God does it. Here he says very clearly, we were despairing of our lives. We were without hope. Yes, this great man, this great author of two-thirds of the New Testament would say something like that. It's a season of doubt. And yet he recognized that God was testing him, that God was using this to help his faith grow stronger. And that's what happens with us. We need to understand this. We are no different from Moses uh, or Elijah or Paul. And so if these great giants of faith can suffer these issues, how much more us, really? How much more us? So if you find yourself, if you find yourself dealing with some spiritual doubt, you should take heart. Uh, John was not asking for information as much as 
confirmation. And that's the difference. Uh, he, he was asking for confirmation. As a result, he sent messengers to Jesus with an inquiry. And the response of Jesus uh, is powerful and found in Matthew 11, three to six. And I love the, the response of Jesus uh, because he, he doesn't mince words. He t- never does. Jesus always goes right to the heart. And so the heart of, well, are you really the Messiah? Well, here's the answer. Matthew chapter 11, verse three, as he re- Jesus responds. Um, and he says, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Go back and tell him. Your witnesses, your eyewitnesses, go back and tell him what you've seen. What have you seen? Well, the blind receive sight. Blind people are being cured. The lame are walking. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. When did you ever hear of these kind of miracles before? One after the other of most incredible miracles that Jesus was performing, which was proof of the fact that here was the Son of God. Uh, and, And so it becomes so poignant to me as he goes right to the heart of the issues. Go back and tell him that. And then he said, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Meaning what? Blessed is the man who recognizes who I am. I am the Messiah and does not walk away from me even though the proof is clear. I am the Messiah. Uh, And when he quoted these verses, uh, he he was very specifically going back and referring to events that John would understand. For example, he would be referring to Isaiah 35. If you have your Bibles, turn uh, to Isaiah 35, verse four. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Now listen to the words talking about the coming of your God. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the desert and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool and thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. There it is, Isaiah 35, with the promise, the promise of what would happen when God would come and all, all these events. And so that's why Jesus is referring to them again uh, and, and effectively saying to John, go back and look at the scripture. Remember what God promised. Look also in Isaiah 61. Again, another reference that Jesus is making here without a particular citation but referring really to the words, Isaiah 61, uh, verse one, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Now, you know that when Jesus started his ministry, he walked into the synagogue, picked up uh, the Torah and read this to a a packed congregation that sat there listening to it slack-jawed as he picked this up and read it. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's what he's referring to. That's what he read when he walked into the synagogue. And so clearly, clearly, John would recognize these statements that Jesus made. 
And so Jesus then says in verse 11, uh, as, he, as he responded to John, and now he's speaking to his disciples, assuredly I say to you, among those born of women, there was not one greater than John the Baptist. Uh, but then he says the following, which I think is even more interesting. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does that mean? It means as we go forward and the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we are now in the kingdom of heaven, that as great as John the Baptist was, that God will use us in an even greater capacity. It's an amazing statement by Jesus of how great the Holy Spirit is uh, and what the intentions of God has for his people. And so the Lord dealt with John's season of doubt in the same way he will deal with doubt and uncertainty in your life. Uh, and Jesus first focused on John's priorities. Uh, John had some unreasonable expectation of what Jesus would do. And that's what God says. Don't be unreasonable. Look back at the scripture. Listen to the word of God. Reflect, reflect on the promises of God. Don't have unreasonable expectations. Uh, and if you reflect on Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, I think it states, states the premise well. Quote, God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He'll give you everything you need. Reflect on that. That's the promise, everything you need. And so there are times that when we, then we may face events that, that focuses us to careen out of control. Uh, this is when we need to remember that God is there for us. He, we have the word of God. We have the promise of God. We have the Holy Spirit to correct our thinking. And Jesus also brought John back to the word of God. In this message, Jesus sent to John, he quoted the prophecies of Isaiah, focusing again on what the Messiah would do and what the Messiah would say. That's how God is. He wants to refocus your vision, focus back on the word of God. And so when, you're, when you are arguing through difficult times, when you find yourself in a season of doubt, you don't need pious platitudes of wisdom. You don't need man's empty philosophy. What you need is the word of God. That's exactly what John needed, the word of God. That alone gives hope. That's the promise of God. That's, the, that's what the Holy Spirit does as it energizes uh, your lives. And so those of us who have been Christians for years understand this. We know even as we've studied the Bible, even as we've, we've lived uh, our lives in accordance with God's will, we still need to be reminded of these things because all of us at some point will be subject to a season of doubt. And so G G Jesus also encouraged John to hold the course. And so when things are filled with doubt and, and things don't, make, need to, don't seem to make sense, God is telling us that he is still in control, and that's important. Even as you go through these, these times, when it does not seem as if your life is in the hands of God, he's still there. He's behind the scenes. He's embracing you. He's holding you. Surely doubt will come about you from time to time, as surely as the wind will blow. Uh, but we need to stand our ground. We need to be stand firm. We need to rely on the word of God uh, because we have to recognize uh, as, as the Bible tells us, that God will never give us more than we can handle. And you can finish this message by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 13, because I think it's a great, great verse to conclude this message on. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 
verse 13. <clears throat> no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide also a way out so that you can stand up under it. There it is. God will not see that you're tempted beyond what you can stand. Uh, he will be with you the whole way. Uh, and, and he will provide a way out for you. And here's the way out. We're reading it. We're studying it. This is the way out. And so we need to understand and focus on the fact that this is what God has provided. So it's not a sin to have doubt. It's not a sin to be depressed. It's not a sin to at times wonder if God is with you uh, and through dark times. And it's not a sin as you go through tragedies or dark periods of your life or suspended relationships or difficult financial times to be dragged down. It's not a sin, but God is there for you. He is giving you a way out. And the way out is go back to the word to recognize he will not abandon you. He will not leave you alone. He is with you every step of the way. And so there was John the Baptist, the greatest, none greater than men born of women. Imagine that, that Jesus Christ could say that. And yet, John, after everything else, even after he baptized Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one? And Jesus saying, yes, I'm the one. Don't despair. Go back, reflect, be strong. And John was strong to the end. John never abandoned Jesus. Uh, his legacy remains to this day uh, in the, of the greatest of, of the prophets. And we're blessed by his life. We're blessed by what he did in leading uh, us to Jesus Christ in so many ways. Uh, and his, as his inspiration of his life comes to us even today. And so I hope this message will resonate with you as you reflect on the fact that as followers of Jesus, yes, we will have doubt, doubt, uh, but in the end, we will rely on God. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message. I, I ask you, Father, to inspire us to recognize that it's not a sin to have doubt. It's not a sin to have dark days or even to be in depression, but rather, Lord, we recognize that you have provided a way out for us, that we will not look for pious philosophies of men, but instead we will look to your word and your promises, just as you told John the Baptist. Lord, I ask you that you inspire us today, that this message fill our heart, and that each of us leaves this place with this message imprinted on our heart. Thank you, Father, for the faithfulness of our people. Continue to protect them and lift them up until we can come back and continue to be a part of your worship again. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you, church. We love you.